Coming up on today's message with Pastor Johnny. The church, even though it's doing good, even though it's got a reputation, even though it's done some things for itself, there's still work to be done. They didn't just rest on their laurels. Paul was saying, don't just rest on what you got going. Paul was saying to go on and continue to prove and get better. And the church hasn't figured it all out. There is still work to do. Let's get into the word. Turn with me uh, to Paul's letter to the church at Ephesus, Ephesians chapter 1. I will be reading the 15th through the 23rd verse. Again, that is Ephesians chapter 1, verses 15 through 23. I'm reading the New International Translation. Let's see what the word of God has to say for us today. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. God's word for God's people and God's people said, amen. Pray with me, church. Oh, Lord, our God, how excellent is your name in all the earth. We thank you for every good and perfect gift that comes from above. We thank you for the opportunity to gather once again in your name and study your word. Lord God, hide me behind your cross. Let everything that I say be what you want me to say and everything that I think be what you want me to think. So I can be like, John the Baptist was, so that I can decrease, so that Christ can increase. Forgive me for any sins, burn anything out of me that is not like you, and let this be a word that is a seed 
planted in good soil and produces great fruit. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, for the time that is ours to share together, I want to talk a little bit about a pastoral letter, a pastoral letter. People don't really write letters as much as they used to anymore. Um, it's been primarily replaced with email and text messages and direct messages, DMs for short. Um, but letters are powerful and important. Um, I've been getting back into writing letters. I spent this entire year, calendar year, uh, writing letters to everybody on the roster to uh, let them know I was praying for them. And each letter of the alphabet, I had the list alphabetized by last names. And each letter of the alphabet by last name, I got two weeks of prayer. Um, letters are important. Uh, there was a September 2017 episode, or issue rather, of the Atlantic Magazine, and it had a list of what they thought were the most important letters in history. They had a wide range of letters on this list. Uh, one was from Queen Atassa of Persia because she was credited with uh, writing the very first handwritten letter in 500 BC. Uh, she established a practice, according to some scholars and history professors, and made letters the most normal and uh, effective form of long-distance communication uh, for the days to come. Abraham Lincoln wrote uh, five public letters during the Civil War and is credited with uh, raising the morale of the Union Army and helping them to win the war. And in one of the most famous letters, he's quoted as saying, I am naturally anti-slavery. If slavery is not wrong, then nothing is wrong. Albert Einstein in 1939 wrote a letter uh, to uh, then-President Roosevelt suggesting that an atomic bomb was actually possible. And six years later, uh, the United States dropped uh, nuclear weapons on Hiroshima and Nagasaki in Japan. Uh, the Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. wrote one of my favorite letters, a letter from a Birmingham jail, and is considered one of the 20th century's most influential essays on civil disobedience, and it inspired major civil rights legislation. I personally like that letter uh, because he talks about those people who were sitting on the fence, didn't want to get involved in the civil rights movement, and uh, would say things like, I respect what you're protesting about. I just don't like your method of protesting. Martin Luther King Jr. had a problem with the moderates who stood on the side of the, tried to stay on the fence and, and, and stay out of it. And so I like it because whenever somebody wants to try to quote the I have a dream speech for why they're not getting involved in something, I usually come back with some quotes from a letter from a Birmingham jail. Uh, there was also one that was called a golden record uh, sent into space on the Voyager spacecraft in 1977. And while that letter will probably uh, never be read or answered, it contains a record of us 
as human beings. All of those letters were on this list of the most important letters in human history. But I would say there are some other letters that are just as important. Um, I would say that the letters that the Apostle Paul wrote uh, were just as important is because of those letters we get the guidelines for the church and how we're supposed to operate. In today's scripture reading, I read a bit of a letter from the Apostle Paul to the church at Ephesus, commonly called Ephesians. Ephesus uh, is uh, an ancient Greek city, uh, but it wouldn't be in Greece now. We would call that area Turkey. Uh, Acts 18 tells us that Paul went to Ephesus after leaving Corinth and eventually planted a church there. Uh, this is what is considered a Deutero-Pauline letter. There are letters that we know that Paul absolutely wrote, and then there are letters that scholars tend to believe maybe one of his students wrote it or he dictated it and, and somebody else wrote it or he had somebody to help co-write it. And so this is a Deutero-Pauline letter written to the congregation of the church at Ephesus. And in, in Ephesians is a great book. Uh, it's about Jews and Gentiles coming together to form the church. This letter was written about somewhere around 60 uh, A.D. And something interesting about Ephesians that I found is that Ephesians talks over and over about how the church is supposed to operate. Over and over about how the church folk are supposed to operate, but never talks about a building. Is, is the microphone st still working? Check, check, two, two. Yeah, they talk over and over again about how the church folk are supposed to operate. And during that time, they didn't have these massive buildings. They met in houses to fellowship and worship with one another. But even then, it's not talking about that either. It's talking about how the church is supposed to treat people. Uh, the church is the people but not the building they meet in. Uh, I have to catch myself when I talk about during this time, uh, church being closed. The church is not closed. Uh, the building is just restricted. You can still read your Bible. You can still uh, pray for folk. You can still fast. You can still do plenty of things to help the people. Just because you don't get uh, together uh, for an hour or two on Sunday uh, or and then again on uh, during the week for Bible study just because that's not happening in the same building does not mean that church is closed uh, the church is not a people it's it, uh, no the church is a people rather it's not where they meet but Paul says that this church has a reputation uh, there are born and bred church folk coming together with people who were not born in the church. The Jews and the Gentiles are coming together to form this church, and they're doing it in a hostile environment. Mm. See, 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 um, this church was in a place that was popular for three things. Uh, well, really two things, but the third thing kind of came up on them. Uh, there was commercial trade, uh, there was pagan religions, and then there was governmental oppression. Commercial trade, pagan religions, and governmental 
oppression. Uh, while in Ephesus, Paul spoke truth to power. He didn't buddy up with those in charge. He told them what they were doing was wrong. And if you read Acts 19, uh, it lets us know that people were buying pagan books and, and information about some of these other religions. But when Paul got in there and started talking to them and started teaching, they burned those books up and stopped buying them. They didn't go to the silver, the silver shrines anymore. A man of God preaching the word of God upset the economy and the natural order of things that had been going on for the new godly order of things. Uh, and now, after this man of God has preached what's going on, they're setting up a church in the city dedicated to what this man was talking about. Uh, can you imagine that? The people of God caring more about what God says than political leaders? Uh, can you imagine the people of God caring about what God says more than the economy? Uh, the people of God uh, more focused on their religion instead of conforming to the religions around them. I'm reminded of something Paul may have said in uh, Romans chapter 12, where he says about being, do, uh, do not conform to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. This Ephesian church had its act together. And they had their act together even in a place and even during a time where it was not conducive for churches to be growing. But they still did it. Uh, and, and so God is, is, is pleased with what they are doing. And Paul is letting them know that he is pleased with what they are doing. And so he, Paul says that he wants the church in the, in the passage that I read to understand four things about God. Uh, the first thing he wants to understand is about the, 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 uh, the person of God concerning his person. Let the church say person. Uh, yes, he says that for this reason I have heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love for God's people, and I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of your Lord, uh, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Paul had heard about this church; their reputation had spread. The people know of this church, and it's not just a social club where can't nobody get in, they are going about and making change in the area. Uh, Paul says that he heard of their faith in the Lord. He knows that they are believers and that they love God. And Paul says in that same verse, their love towards the saints. So they love God and they love people. And the people know about it. And, and, and even though that's going on, he's still praying that they grow in wisdom and knowledge in their revelation of the Lord. The church, even though it's doing good, even though it's got a reputation, even though it's done some things for itself, there's still work to be done. They didn't just rest on their laurels. Paul was saying, don't just rest on what you got going. Paul was saying to go on and continue to prove and get better. And the church hasn't figured it all out. There is still work to do. 
Sometimes when a church gets a historical marker or it wins an award or it gets something else going on it that makes everybody say, hey, look at us, they stop working. And then the church goes on the decline. And before you know it, there'll be people living in the same neighborhood of the church that don't even know that church exists. And so he said, even though you are coming together because there was a conflict on the outside with the government and and the businesses and the pagan religions, there was also a conflict on the inside because you had the born and bred church folk and the folk who weren't born and bred in church all coming together trying to form this thing in a hostile environment. So he was saying, even though you've got all this going on, don't stop. And continue to grow in the wisdom and the knowledge of God. And so he told them about concerning, uh, he wanted them to learn things concerning uh, the person. Uh, But he also wanted to learn uh, concerning the promise. Let the church say promise. Put promise in the comments. uh, So that you can understand how wonderful a future he has promised to those who he called. Some translations say hope. Some translations say hope for a future, but Paul wants the church to open their eyes, open their hearts, and take in what is really important, the riches and glory and the inheritance. uh, 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 It says that I pray that the eyes of your heart be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance of his holy people. We have a king for a father. And there is an inheritance that is, that is given to us. So while things are bad right now, they're not going to be bad forever. And there's a promise in that, the glorious inheritance. And when God says it, it's going to happen. Uh, He is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should seek cause to repent God has promised some things for us. We just need to be prayerful and we need to be patient in order to hold out because we're going to get the power later on. We are the head and not the tail. We are above and shall never be beneath. We are the lenders and not the borrowers. We are blessed in the city. We are blessed in the field. We are blessed when we come. We are blessed when we go. It's promised to us. We are the righteousness of God. We are the apple of his eye. There is a promise there. We just need to hold on. We need to know about his person and continue to learn and grow into the person of God and know his promise. Understand that there is an inheritance set aside for us, but also that there is power. Let the church say power. Uh, Yes, it says the incomparably great power for us who believe. Incomparably. Uh, the, The same power that raised Christ from the dead is the same power that is working in you. The same power that got Christ out the grave is the same power that is going to help you when there is uh, more month than money. The same 
power that rose Jesus Christ from the dead is the power that'll be at work in you when there is sickness in your body. The same power that rose Christ from the dead is going to be the same power that is in you when you need peace that surpasses all understanding because you got fake friends and real enemies. That same power that rose Christ from the dead is the same power that's going to have you putting your face forward and going one step in front of the other even though it feels like you can't go on the same power that was in Christ and rose him from the dead is the same power that'll give you that energy so that you know that they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength and mount up with wings as eagles, run and not get weary, walk and not faint. That same power that was at work to raise Christ from the dead is the same power that lets you know that there's a hope and a future for you. It's at work during this time and has been at work. We just have to be willing to be patient and prayerful and thankful to tap into it. And so we understand the person and we understand the promise and we understand the power. But Paul also wants them to understand the position. Let the church say position. Ah, yes, it says that he is seated at the right hand of the Father. Uh, God placed all the things under his feet and appointed him to be the head of everything for the church. He willingly gave up himself for us. He rose again on the third day with all power in his hand. And now he's seated at the right hand of the Father and we are waiting for him to return. He's got a position in heaven that, ought to, that occupies an exalted place at the right hand of the Father himself. And he's got a position on earth that he is appointed the head of the church. He has a position in heaven. At the right hand of Father, the Father. And he has a position on earth, the head of the church. Christ is above all things. He has dominion over everything. He's above all powers. He's above all presidents. He's above all governors. He's above all mayors. He's above all city council. He's above all senators. He's above all elected officials. He's above all elections. He's above all political parties. He's above all companies. He's above all the pastors. He's above all of them. You name it, Christ is above it. Christ is above all. There is nothing that should be able to come between you and God. Nothing should come between you and your relationship with Jesus Christ. If you can't handle something and you can't live without it, that is wrong. You should not allow anything or anybody to come between your relationship with you and Christ Jesus. Even if you think that the person that you got these feelings about or, 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 or loyalty towards is the chosen one. Even if you feel like they're God's anointed person to lead through this time. Your loyalty to them should not outweigh 
your loyalty to God. The created thing cannot be above the creator. Only what you do for Christ will last. And do not let anything come between you and your relationship with God. If you do, you need to rethink, do you really have a relationship with God? Don't let anything come between you and God. Christ has the ultimate authority. Christ has the ultimate position. Uh, And he says that God placed him all things under his feet and appointed him to be head of everything for the church. Who are you really worshiping? Who are you really worshiping? The church is Christ's body. And the fullness of him who fulfills, who feels everything in every way. There's no loophole around it. There's, there's no way out of it. Christ is the head of the church. Christ is in charge. Christ is running these things. And I like this because when I look at this to prepare for the message on something else that I found wonderful about this is in the Greek, Paul is using present tense language. <laughs> uh, uh, the victory is already won. Christ is already sitting at the right hand of the Father. And if he is sitting at the right hand, the battle is already over. Whatever it is that has been troubling you, whatever it is that is trying to take you down, whatever it is, Jesus has already defeated it. I remember working at a particular church and the, the, the benediction always said that I shall not die, but I shall live to declare the works of the Lord for he must reign until every enemy is is under his feet and the last enemy that shall be destroyed is death. Here we have it in Ephesians. It's also in Corinthians. It's over and over again. The battle is already won and because the battle is already won, you have a name that is above all names. You have a name that causes the enemies to flee. You have a name that causes demons to tremble. You have a name by only which men can be saved. There is a name. I love to hear. I love Love to sing its worth. It sounds like music in my ears. The sweetest name on earth. That name has already won the battle. And that name is Jesus. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the doors of the church are open and we invite you to come. Thank you so much for watching this video. Please be sure to like, comment, subscribe, and share. Don't forget to connect with me on social media, Pastor Johnny Simpson Jr. on Facebook, at Pastor J. Simpson Jr. on Instagram and Twitter. Thanks again for watching, and God bless.